The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 22, 54-62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the courtyard, they sat down together, and Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him. You also are one of them. But Peter said, Men, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also is with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately... While he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be to, be to Christ. Christ. Thank you so much, Sharon. So before I uh, get into the sermon today, I want to um, just uh, point you to an announcement in your bulletin that directs you to a, uh, information about a series that we're going to begin starting next Sunday on Easter. And the title of the series is Doubting Christianity. And what we're going to do is examine seven of the core reasons why modern people struggle with the claims of Christianity. And uh, so the topics will be uh, as follows. The first one, the the kickoff next Sunday will be, isn't Easter just a nice made-up fairy tale? And then after that, uh, we've got questions we'll wrestle with such as, if God is good, then why do people suffer? Uh, Isn't Christianity too narrow-minded? Shouldn't everyone define truth for themselves? Isn't the Bible unreliable and outdated? Haven't Christians hurt a lot of people throughout history? And how can a wrathful God also be a loving God? And what we want to encourage you to do is come to all seven uh, and to bring people in your lives that you uh, want to introduce to the message of Jesus and or to your church family, specifically people who don't have a church. And uh, what we want to do is to try to approach these questions in a way that leaves you saying, this is exactly what I want my friends, my family members, the people I care about to hear, and it's exactly how I want them to hear it. So we're going to work really hard to to deliver that uh, at all three of our locations, and we want to ask you to consider uh, how you might even use this next season, this next short chapter to 
maybe introduce uh, some people in your life uh, to uh, the way that Jesus thinks and uh, uh, the person and the God that Jesus is. And so, uh, all that being said, uh, now I want to direct our attention to uh, our first message of this week leading into what we call Holy Week, which is, which is the week of all weeks in the year that Christians around the world uh, consider uh, something that Jonathan Edwards uh, pointed out, and it's this, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. That's what Holy Week is for, and we're going to come sit in that on Good Friday, but we're also going to sit in it a little bit today. If you want me to officiate your wedding, and I've gotten a, about this time of year, I get a, a number of wedding requests. If you want me to officiate your wedding, uh, I have one, con- well, I have several conditions, but one condition is this. We will use the traditional vows. And the reason why we will use the traditional vows instead of vows that you write for yourselves is that in more cases than not, the bride and the groom are not the poets that they think they are. And the second reason is that the essence of marriage is not what most modern vows emphasize. The essence of marriage is not how you feel about the other person right now. The essence of marriage is a promise that you make for those times in the future when your vows and when your promises are going to be tested by the for worse part of for better or for worse, and by the in sickness part of the in sickness and in health part, and, and by the uh, sorrow part uh, from the joy and, and in sorrow part of the traditional vows. This applies to when you join a community like, like ours. Uh, you, you may have noticed that when people become members of Christ Pres, they make a series of five membership vows. And, and what we do is we urge people to uh, think long and hard and to, 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 to pause as long as they need to before they step forward and make the vows, because a vow is a serious thing, uh, and you want to be sure that you can keep it before you make it, because a promise is a sacred thing, especially uh, uh, in the world of Christ and Christianity. It's a weighty thing. Truth is a bedrock of Christianity. Jesus identifies Himself not only as the one who tells the truth, but but the one who is the truth. And He says to His followers, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. In other words, be so reliable, be, be so dependable that you don't even have to make oaths and vows, because when you say something, we all know that you're going to mean what you say, because you're connected to the one who is the truth. One of the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of faithfulness. Uh, Faithfulness is that fruit uh, born uh, of of a life in Christ that tells the people around you that you can be depended upon. You can be relied upon. You You can be relied upon, depended upon to be the same person on Monday as you are on Sunday, the same person in private as you are in public, the same person at home as you are at work the same person in one group as you are in another group. What you say is also what you do. You can be depended upon for that. That's, that's how the fruit of faithfulness plays itself out in the life of somebody whose life is tethered to Jesus Christ. So, Peter, 
an apostle, a, a writer of some of the New Testament letters, one of the, the early uh, preachers uh, of the Christian movement, not unlike Judas, broke his promise. Broke his promise. And he, he let his yes become a no, and he let his no become a yes when he betrayed Jesus Christ, not unlike Judas in many ways. And so, looking at the account, this account of Peter and his three betrayals, I, I want to um, help us marinate in, in three, uh, three thoughts. One has to do with our fractured selves. Uh, the second has to do with how our fractured selves fracture our communities and then the merciful Savior who pulls it all back together. So, so let's start with our fractured selves. So, so earlier in this chapter, uh, Jesus looks at Peter in front of the other disciples, and He says, Peter, I need to tell you something. I need to let you in on something about you. You're going to hear a rooster crow in a few days, but before you hear the rooster crow, you are going to betray me. You're going to publicly deny that you know me, and you're going to do it three times. And Peter says, never. I mean, I agree that all of these other so-called disciples of yours, they'll probably betray you when things get difficult, but I'm in it for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow. I will even die with you, Lord. And of course, We've already had the story read to us about what happened. The things that Jesus promised would happen with Peter did. And the things that Peter promised would happen with Peter didn't. And the impact on Peter is that he weeps bitterly. And he, he's bitter in his weeping. He's, he's, um, he's crushed in his spirit because he feels like in this moment he has lost himself. He's asking the question in this moment, I, I made promises, I meant them, and I didn't follow through, and so who am I? Who am I really? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ who loves Him, or am I a fraud who's fooling himself? You know, he may even be thinking back to, to the Lord's Supper when Jesus looked at all the disciples, including Him, and says, one of you is going to betray me? You know, remember all the disciples said, but is it I, Lord? And, and Peter had asked the question, is, am I the one that's going to be uh, the, denying you and betraying you? And, and, and maybe at this point, Peter's thinking, well, well, maybe the one person, the one betrayal that Jesus was talking about was me instead of Judas. Maybe, maybe Judas was, was authentic, and maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the fraud. He's, he's weeping bitterly because he feels like somehow he's been cu cut off from his self, from himself, and the man he thought he was. There's this duplicity about him that, that really is true about all of us. So, the political analyst Hannah Arndt uh, said that without being bound to the fulfillment of our promises, in other words, without being, a, you know, our yes be yes and our no be no kind of people, without the fulfillment of our promises, we would never be able to keep our identities. We would be condemned to wander helplessly and without direction in the darkness of each man's lonely heart, caught in its contradictions and equivocalities. The human heart is contradictory to itself. The, the human heart is 
equivocal. It, it vacillates. It goes back and forth. It's, it's one thing this moment, and then it's another thing the next moment. You know, Nashville songwriter, uh, also uh, one of the elders at Christ Presbyterian Church, Tom Douglas, uh, he, one of his most um, well-known and celebrated songs, A House That Built Me, sung by Miranda Lambert. Uh, one of the lyrics goes like this, and it, I think it captures this Peter experience. He says, you leave home, you move on, and you do the best you can. I got lost in this old world and forgot who I am. Peter got lost in this old world and forgot who he was. You know, modern people, we, 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 we talk a lot about identity these days. We talk about identity politics. We talk about, you know, sexual identity. We talk about, you know, ethnic identity. We talk about all kinds of, you know, national identity. We talk about all kinds of identity. This is who I am by virtue of this. And, 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 and you know, sort of the prevailing uh, view of, 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 of how it is that a person defines and discovers their identity is summarized in, a, 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 in something that sociologists call expressive individualism. I am who I feel I am. I feel this way, therefore I am this. You know, Lady Gaga put it um, uh, very accurately, sort of the, the spirit of, of the age of, of, of expressive individualism, of, you know, I'm the one who determines what my truth is and what my path is when she wrote and sang the words, I'm beautiful in my way. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. Oh, there ain't no other way. Baby, I was born this way. Don't let anybody else tell you what your truth should be and what your path should be and what your identity is. You get to name yourself. Here's where we run into trouble, though, when we approach life and questions around identity in this way. If my core identity is defined by how I feel and how I want to define myself and my truth, I will have to deal with the, for the rest of my life with the reality that, that my identity will constantly be changing because my feelings will always be changing and I will always be changing. You know, we're always in conflict with our former selves and with our future selves. You know, you think about your former self. So, I'll use myself as an example. I'm 50 years old. Actually, wait, I'm 50, I turned 51 last week. So, so, I'm old enough to forget my age. And I look back on my 40-year-old self and my 30-year-old self and my 20-year-old self and especially my 15-year-old self and I think, oh my goodness, what a train wreck that kid was. How cringeworthy some of the things that that kid thought, said, and did. We're also in conflict, by the way, with our future selves because my 60-year-old self is going to look back on my 51-year-old self and say, oh, how cringeworthy, which means I am cringeworthy right now, and I don't even realize it. The only cure from being in constant conflict with our former selves and our future selves is to derive our identity from a solid, stable, 
voice from the outside of us, not from the inside of us, that says this is your identity. And it has to be the voice that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The voice of God who made us for Himself. And so if if you're here maybe uh, at the beginning of Holy Week, contemplating religion, contemplating Christianity, maybe you've even you know, joined Christians around the world to, to observe Lent, you know, sort of denying yourself in order to, to take a deeper look into the heart and contemplation and so on, but you're still kind of on the fence about Christianity. Um, if you take the plunge into Christianity, it will require an entirely new outlook on yourself and your identity. You do not get to name yourself only Jesus has the right to name you. And that's, that's one of the things you have to accept if you become a Christian. You can't come in as a Christian especially and say, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Because what Jesus says is you were born dead. You were born wrong is what He says. Dead in transgression and sin. But there's a positive side to this, but God made you alive gave you a new name, establishes your identity as His beloved, and so on. I'll get to that beloved part toward the end here this morning. But what you will say as a Christian is not, I'm on the right track, baby. What you will say is, I'm a hypocrite, and I am finally free to be honest about that and own it. I'm a hungry hypocrite, as Pastor David Filson said earlier this morning. I am a hypocrite. I am not even consistent with my own rules and with my own definition of right and wrong and good and bad. I'm not even consistent with me, and I'm here to own that, and that gives me hunger, the same kind of hunger that Peter had when he was weeping bitterly. See, a Christian is a person who will let God make him sad, or let God make her sad because of his or her duplicity. See, Peter's sadness is actually an affirmation of the authenticity of his faith. You know how you feel when you you know you've betrayed or done wrong somebody who loves you so dearly, and, and somebody that in your heart of hearts, you love them so dearly. Maybe you said something you didn't mean, it was hurtful, and, and it created this, this kind of devastating nausea in you because you, you really, in your heart of hearts, love that person. And you realize you just injured them. You just contradicted the love that you have for them because you are duplicitous. Good news, you're not alone. You've got Peter, who truly did love Jesus to the degree that he said he loved him, who truly was willing to die for Jesus and actually ended up dying for Jesus, crucified upside down, history tells us, because he didn't regard himself as worthy to be crucified right side up like his master was. Okay, so Peter came around eventually to courage, but just because he had a moment of cowardice and self-preservation doesn't mean that he didn't love Jesus. But he lost, he got lost in this old world and forgot who he was. He was not only in conflict with his former and future self, he was in conflict with his current self. You know, the Apostle Paul describes this dynamic in Romans 7. He says, each and every one of us who's a, a believer in Christ, we have two dynamics going on. We have the Spirit 
and the flesh, and they're at war inside of us against each other. The, the Spirit is that, that part of us that desires God and the, the things of God. The flesh is that part that, that, that desires sin and desires distance from God. And, and those two things are at war inside of each and every one of us all the time. For Paul, the presenting issue was, was coveting. You know, and he says, I do not do what I want. This is an apostle. This is a guy, while he's writing the Bible, he's writing these words while he's writing the Bible, I do not do what I want in my heart of hearts to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. So, you're not alone. But here's, here's what separates a Christian from somebody who's not. A Christian feels absolute growing liberation and freedom to own his or her hypocrisy. Not to not be a hypocrite, but to own that I am, that I am duplicitous, that I will adore you today and I will stab you in the back tomorrow. And the way that I know that I'm in Christ is when I stab you in the back, I will feel nauseated about it. Okay? So, our fractured selves, but then the, the fractured self creates a fractured community. You know, the, reasons why, the reason why Peter denies Jesus is because Peter's vows were tested. His promises were tested You know, for better, for worse, sickness and health, joy and sorrow. His promises were tested by the worst sickness and sorrow aspects of his promise. For Peter, the, the, the thing that, that caused him to betray Jesus was popular opinion. Most people seem to be turning against Jesus, and so it feels safe. It feels most safe for me to back off from Jesus and kind of blend in to popular opinion. If the authorities seize Jesus, they lead him uh, into a trial and ultimately to execution. Now, had Peter been what Peter said he would be for Jesus when that moment of pressure came, Peter would have thrown caution to the wind. He would say, come hell or high water, I am with Jesus. But instead, what Peter does is he goes dark. And this is what a lot of us do when somebody that we were close to and thought we were loyal to, they, they fall out of public favor, and then we back off. I don't want any of that. I'll just be over here. You know, that's what people did with King. They, they secretly and privately supported him, but they wouldn't align with him publicly because they were afraid of what was going to happen to them. They were afraid that the stuff that was happening to King was going to happen to them. And, and in the same way that Peter, he's afraid the stuff that's happening to Jesus is going to happen to him. And so he goes dark, and he retreats into self-preservation. He keeps a safe distance from all the costs and inconveniences of real community and all the costs and conveniences of real love and real discipleship. You know, Bonhoeffer said it, you know, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. You know, the mission of Christ is not so that, that you can deny your neighbor, take up your comforts, and follow your dreams. It's so you can deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. But Jesus goes to the cross alone, without Peter, as Peter watches him. Instead, Peter seeks comfort, warms himself at the fire that was kindled for him by people who were opposed to Jesus Christ. Seeks acceptance as he sits among those who are opposed to Jesus Christ. And then the rooster crows... And Jesus gives Peter the gift of one split second of eye contact. 
And then he turns and goes his way to the cross alone instead of with Peter. And that's enough to cause Peter to start melting down and weeping and experiencing the isolation of being a betrayer. So, students and young adults in particular, this doesn't just apply to you, but it does apply especially to you. Your circumstances are very different than Peter's were, but your temptation is very much the same. Ours is a day and age, especially with the cultural pressure that exists for you to keep your own public distance from Jesus and the things of Jesus. Because popular opinion is a powerful thing in this world of social media shaming, in this world of outrage and so on. We do not want to associate with things or people or movements that might lead to great cost for us. And so, so we walk out, those of us who identify as Christians, we walk into the world thumbs up on things that popular opinion says yes to about Jesus. Thumbs up on Jesus and His love and on Jesus and His kindness. Thumbs up on Jesus and diversity. Yes. Thumbs up on Jesus and social action for people living on the margins and and the point, absolutely, yes, thumbs up, way up on all these things, but here's your temptation, especially if you're under the age of 35. Thumbs down on everything that Jesus taught about sex and marriage. Thumbs down on everything Jesus taught about gender. Thumbs down on everything Jesus taught about hell and judgment. Thumbs down on everything that Jesus talked to, said about Him and Him alone being the one and only way that you can be in right relationship with God. Thumbs down on Jesus saying, I am the truth, and therefore you have no right to define your truth and decide what your truth is because I am the truth. Thumbs down. See, we are all just a fraction of a hair away from Peter and then the parents of those who are under the age of 35. You're afraid of losing your children. You are just right there, too, on the precipice of saying thumbs down to things that Jesus says thumbs up to. You, you are at that point, many of you, where you're thinking, I've got to decide between the affections of my children and the approval of my children and of their generation or loyalty to Jesus Christ. That's the world we're in right now. It's called the cost of discipleship. If you want to follow after Jesus, He bids you come and die. If you want to follow after Jesus, you have to choose your community. You have to choose your family. And it's either with Him or against Him, and there's no equivocation in between. That's the cost of discipleship. If you go with Jesus, it means you go with Him to the cross also. You don't warm yourself at the fire kindled and created for you by those who are against Jesus. You don't seek acceptance around that fireplace either. You seek fellowship with Jesus and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering. You know, to be in, it, to be in with the world is to betray Jesus, and to be in it with, the, the, with Jesus is in some ways to, to betray the worldview of the world and to do so publicly. It, it's much more costly, by the way, 
to betray Jesus in order to become a friend of the world. The cost isn't as immediate, but it is devastating and nauseating when you start to realize the actual cost. You, know, you ever have any of those memories where you just think, if I could rewind the clock on that thing I said, if I could just rewind the clock on that thing I did, it just made me feel so dirty. And I was, I was just seeking acceptance, and, and because I was so desperate for the acceptance of people I don't even like and that I don't even trust, because I was so desperate to be accepted, I did something that made me feel dirty. For me, that happened in 10th grade. It happened in the course of a week. I thought, you know what? I'm nervous. I'm scared. I don't like going to parties. Uh, I, you know, I feel insecure about myself, and so I'm going to try to be a class clown, and the way I'm going to try to be a class clown is I'm going to publicly look at that girl in, in, in front of a bunch of people and say, you're ugly, and I did that. And then I, I said, I'm going to look at that boy, and I'm going to say, you're dumb, and I did that in front of a lot of people, and I got a lot of laughter, and then that girl and that boy just walked out feeling like, you know, horrible. And that has haunted me. It still haunts me today. I feel nauseated even talking about something I did in 10th grade, which is 110 years ago. <laughs> it is costly to forsake the right in order to do wrong so as to preserve yourself in front of people who are going to eventually turn on you anyway. Here's the hope, and it's again from Tom Douglas's song. The hope is that we, at any given point, can come home to the house that built us. You know, in the song, the, this man who's lost the sense of who he is out in the world, he returns home and he, 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 he has a conversation with the current resident and he says, he says, I thought if I could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself in the house that built me. There is still a house and there's still a homeowner. It's the same one, Jesus Christ, the merciful Savior, here for Peter, here for you. Jesus does for Peter what the crowds will never do for Peter. Jesus keeps his marriage vow to Peter. For better or for worse, sickness and in health, joy and in sorrow, as long as eternity shall last. You know, verses 31 and following, you know, right before Jesus predicts you know, about Jesus or about Peter's betrayals and the rooster crowing and everything else, he says to him, Simon, Simon. Now remember, when you repeat somebody's name, it's like saying, Dear Simon. You know, Martha, Martha, dear Martha, beloved Martha, beloved Simon, beloved Peter. It's demonstrating affection. He says, I want to tell you something. Satan has demanded to have you. Satan doesn't just want to tempt you, he wants to adopt you. Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, that he might turn you into dust. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. And when, not if, when you have turned again, I have jurisdiction even over your future decisions, Peter. I am sovereign over them. I am omniscient and all-knowing about them. You are going to betray me in ways that you never thought imaginable. And when you turn back to me, because I'm going to make sure that happens, strengthen your brothers who will also feel the shame that you will feel. 
You know, raise your hand if you have ever said or done something you never thought you were capable of that made you feel dirty or ashamed. Raise your hand, please. All honest people. All honest people. Okay. Now, keep your hand up if it sent you into grief, despair, self-loathing, sadness, nausea. Lots of hands. Whatever has driven you to ask, is it I? Am I the betrayer? Am I the fraud? Whatever it is, your grief, that nausea you feel is an affirmation that number one, Satan does desire to have you and sift you like wheat, but number two, Jesus will not let it happen because he has prayed for you. Not only this, he's got a job for you to do. After he restores you, he's going to say, I want you to encourage my brothers, and I want you to encourage my sisters. And, and, and by the way, it's not only that Jesus has prayed for you, he always lives to pray for you. Hebrews 7 says he's always interceding at every moment. The throne of God is your advocate, as your defender, as your protector. And then he follows through. You know, to the women who show up at the tomb, he says, go tell my brothers, call them my brothers, all those people, not my betrayers, but my brothers. Remember, all of them forsook Jesus when he went to the cross. It wasn't just Peter and Judas. But then he says, I want you to especially tell Peter, that's in the Gospel of Mark, I'm coming to them. And then he arrives and, and he asks the question that, 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 that maybe Peter secretly was hoping that someday he'd get to answer face to face with the Lord again. Do you love me? Thank you for asking. Yes, yes. And it's as if through his action, Jesus is saying, I know you love me. I know you always have. I know how dirty and rotten you felt when you turned against me out of fear. But I didn't turn against you. I continued toward that cross that was there for both of us. And I bore it for both of us and especially for you. That regret you feel, you just know. Jesus knows your heart. You are duplicitous, so am I, and he is the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you condescend to us in all of our duplicity without ever being condescending. Thank you that, that as Pastor Filson said earlier in the service, you, you do not scold us for our inconsistencies and hypocrisies, but you sympathize. May this be enough to send us in the same direction that, 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 that Peter went after you returned and reaffirmed and restored him to yourself. May this be enough, your affirmation and your reaffirmation to build us and to rebuild us in your house. May this be enough to compel us to keep our promises too. It's in your name we pray. Amen.